0: You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. All right. You guys can have a seat. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And if you're new with us, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here, that you're able to worship with us. It's really been a great time to visit here at Redeemer because over the last few weeks, we've been walking through different values, different values that shape us as a church. And you've got the opportunity not only to hear from our our main preaching team, but from leaders within our church who are really helping lead out in those particular values. And so we've, it's been a great series of, of walking through uh, some of the things that make us as a church. And uh, if, you, if you've missed any of those sermons, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. All of these guys did a great job. Uh, I was so encouraged this past month hearing from them. So you can find those uh, sermons online on our YouTube page. Go back and check those out. I want to quickly point to next week, just really quick. Next week, uh, we're going to start a new series called "Good News," and we're going to really take a deep dive into the gospel. We're going to spend four weeks really digging into the gospel. We're going to see that the gospel is historical, the gospel is personal, the gospel is relational, and the gospel is social and missional. And so, um, I'm excited about that. Uh, Jordan will be sending out more information on that this week, but it's going to be a great month to really dig into and sit in the gospel of grace well this morning we are going to wrap up our voices and value series as we look at the final value of what it means to be a maturing church family this is something we value here as a church is we want to be a maturing church family family. And our main text this morning is going to be Ephesians chapter four verses one through seventeen. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and get ready, you can go ahead and turn there. It'll probably be on the screen as well. Um, we'll we'll get there in just a minute. But when we talk about a maturing church, a mature church, it's important for us to come to a biblical definition of what a mature church is. You know, there's many things that we could think of that probably pop into our head when we think of the, the words a mature church. You know, some people might think of a church with, you know, with a lot of people. When we get to 500 people or 1,000 people, we're a mature church. Some people might think of uh, the a mature church has a big reach or influence. It has a big ministry footprint. Others might think that that a mature church is one that has buildings and programs and much to offer those who come to it. Um, There's many ways we could define uh, uh, what a mature church is based on kind of the the cultural climate we live in. But the Bible gives us a much more simplistic, a much more Christ-centered definition of a maturing church. And I want us to see this morning that a maturing church is one that is looking more and more like Jesus. A maturing church is one that is looking more and more like Jesus through the primary means of truth and love. The primary means of truth and love. And so let's pray, and then we'll jump into our text, Ephesians 4. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as people in need, It's people who are prone to anxiety, people who are prone to worry, people who are prone to to the ideas of this world that lead us astray. And we need you to center our hearts on Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit, to remind us again of what is true, of what you have done in redemptive history. Remind us again of who you are and who we are. And I pray this morning that you would give us a passion to be a maturing church, a church that doesn't settle or just get uh, thrown about by the winds and waves of culture, but that is rooted deeply in your truth, in the gospel. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. I'll read it for us, and then we'll talk about it a bit. Paul says in verse 1, I therefore In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of, fullness of, of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of minds. This is God's word. Ephesians 4 comes to us after three chapters. Where Paul has reminded the church of all that Jesus had done for them, all that he had accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, and all that they had received in him because of this grace. Remember last week, Austin pointed this out for us that, that there was, uh, Ephesians remind us that there was this state that we once existed in, that we were once children of wrath, we were once separated from God, we were once cut off from his promises. But the good news we read about in these first three chapters is that now we are forgiven. We're welcomed as God's children. We're recipients of the, the multifaceted grace He has purchased and earned through His life, death, death. In resurrection, And now, as we move into chapter 4, Paul is going to encourage the church to live consistently with this message. You remember back to the Titus series? We, Titus, Paul talked about that in Titus. That how we behave needs to match up with what we believe. Not to earn God's favor, but because we've received God's favor. That's why he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And so Paul's going to encourage the church to live into their new identity as God's redeemed people. There's this sense in which he's calling us to this process of growth. We're going to have to grow up, not only individually, but together. We're going to have to mature. It's like this that we often use the metaphor of adoption as we talk about our salvation. God has declared that we are righteous, that we are his, that we are his children. We're in the family. That is not on the line but now he's committed to teaching us through the growing pains what it looks like to be his children, not the orphan children we once were. We're learning to live the way of Jesus. We're learning, as this passage in Ephesians tells us, to live as the body of Christ with Jesus as our head. But as we said at the beginning, we're learning to live increasingly in a way that looks more and more like Jesus. And this is the call of Christian maturity for us personally and as a church. And here in this passage, I think there's two key ingredients. There's probably more angles we could talk about this, but there's two key ingredients that, that Paul gives for this process of maturing us. And they are truth and love. Truth and love. And so we'll, talk, we'll unpack these a bit. And so let's first talk about truth for a moment. Truth and is defined in the in the gospel, right? We we receive the truth from the scriptures. We believe the scriptures are inspired by God. And truth is, is not just having those scriptures, but it's a deepening theolo- it's deepening our theological convictions. It's deepening our understanding of the truth that has been revealed to us in the scriptures. And I would qualify this by saying it's a deepening conviction a uh, uh, deepening theological convictions that are held with humility and wisdom you see theological truth matters how we articulate how we think of god how we speak of him it is important um and equally important is how we hold what we believe how do we carry that truth we do it with humility And finally, theology is not disconnected. It's not just learning facts about God. It's applied. It shapes the way that we live. Notice the importance of theology in our text. You know, Paul isn't saying that we we have kind of this generic belief in a fuzzy God who we kind of know, but we kind of don't. Like What does he say? He says uh, he calls us for unity around one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. You see, we as Christians have a particular faith that has been revealed in the person and work of Jesus as has been recorded in the Holy Scriptures. And this faith, this core doctrine, this truth that Jesus has lived and he's died and he's resurrected and that changes everything is at the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. It's a very particular truth that centers around the person and work of Jesus. And our understanding, our deepening, our commitment to this core doc- these core doctrines is essential. They unify us. They define with clarity what we believe about God, His redemption through Christ, the Spirit-birth Church. And this comes to us through the Gospel as it's recorded in the Scriptures. And I would even add that as it was summarized in the ancient creeds of those who've gone before us, this is why one of the things we ask you to do if you're a partner with us at Redeemer is to affirm the Apostles' Creed to say this is not some new thing we made up a hundred years ago. This is an ancient faith. This is one faith, one church, one spirit that goes back to the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And while we will have disagreements uh, amongst brothers and sisters on some of the finer points of theology, the revelation of Jesus Christ through the gospel is at the very core of Christian theology. It's what the apostles it's what the, father, the church fathers in the early days of the church and the ancient church, it's what the reformers went to painstaking efforts to preserve and pass down so that we could have not a generic fuzzy view of God, but a particular view of God that was revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our faith is an ancient faith built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets passed on to us through the church. And at a time when the internet will offer you a buffet of options of whatever you want to believe to have your kind of biases and desires stroked and backed up, we need more than ever to drill down and dig deep on this core ancient faith. More than ever, we need to know what is the essence of the Christian faith. What are the things we must hold to that we cannot let go? Look at what Paul says again in verse 11 through 14 he says this and he gave speaking of Jesus the apostles and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ you see that there's that christ likeness that we're that we're maturing towards so that we may we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, maturity, as in a church, in us personally and together, requires that we grow in theological depth. And depth happens not just as not, not in the sense that we speculate more and more in the scriptures but that we dig down deep on what is core that we dig into the gospel itself and we begin to be so shaped by the gospel that everything else in our life becomes painted by it. You see depth depth happens as we root ourselves along with the ancient church along with the foundation of the apostles and the prophets by always going back to the scriptures by thoughtfully speaking the gospel into our own cultural moment, by being so sure of what is central that we can speak with with thoughtfulness and grace towards issues that might be of second and third importance. Theology is a task given to the church, not just to our local church, but to the church in all times and in all places. See, there are ways that our culture has shaped us, that we need ancient voices to speak into our time. You know, we're, we're often in the business of looking back and judging those who came before us, and we do need to look back with critique. We do need to always be reforming and going back to the scriptures and saying, hey, what these guys did in the 1800s or in the 1500s, that was not right. They were out of step. They're, they'd gotten off with their culture. But we also, with humility, have to say, we also have things in our culture that we're blind to that we need ancient voices to speak into. This is, this is something that's important for you to realize in a culture that tells you that you make your own world in your little head, right? That our theology isn't just, Josh just makes it up, right? Or we just make it up as a church. Our theology flows from a church that has existed for thousands of years really, from a revelation of God who's existed for all of eternity. And so we don't get to just make up whatever feels convenient for us in the moment, right? There are some core doctrines of our faith that I don't love. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love that God's primary means of sanctifying us is through suffering. I don't love that, right? I, I want comfort and ease, and I'd rather just kind of have, you know, God just make me better, or you know? And yet, what we see revealed in Scripture is that God uses suffering to change us, to transform us, to conform us to the image of Jesus. There might be others of you that there are doctrines that the church has held for centuries that you don't love. You know, many of us, we don't like talking about the doctrine of hell, right? Um, but, but the church, for, for thousands of years, has held a theology that was passed down from the prophets and the apostles. And we don't just get to make up whatever we think is core or central for our time. In fact, we need the ancient voices to kind of call us out where we have drifted astray. Paul says that if we don't mature, if we don't deepen our doctrinal understanding, there will be like children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see, family, many of our hearts, we've certainly been made new. We might even be in God's family, but we're still prone to drift. We're prone to to listen to the, the echoes of the ancient serpent lingering in our ears that say, did God really say that? Does he really care about your sexuality? Did he really rise again on the third day? Is he really risen and reigning and currently in authority over all the nations? You see, without deepening theological convictions, we're vulnerable to getting swept away into cultural currents. In our culture, there are strong currents right now of liberalism that pride themselves as progress. In our culture, there's a strong current of conservatism or nationalism that prides itself as staying true to Christian American heritage. And family, we don't need a return to the early American church. (laughs) We need a return to the scriptures, to the ancient church, to the church that stood the test of time. We don't need the progress of a godless future, but we desperately need God to return in his glory and make all things new. You see, and sadly, the current state of our church, and I hate to do this because always, everyone's always bagging on the church, but sadly, the state of evangelicalism, which many of us have grown up in, has not deepened our theology. And so what we see is our culture is pulling people left and right, literally, into different streams and tossing them about. I can tell you countless stories of friends of mine who I grew up with that did not deepen in the context of the local church, and now they've been pulled into one of the extremes just like our culture. And so I want to talk a little bit about this problem, these, these currents and even how some signs that, that maybe we're lacking theological depth and we're, we're getting pulled away into some of these currents for a moment. And typically I would give you, you know, I use alliteration, so I'd give you like three Ps or three Fs or three Ts, and I tried to be creative. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three animals today. Three animals, right? That's, you're like, what? That's a, okay, maybe you should just alliteration. But we got three animals that kind of made sense here. They were, these were like idioms that I thought, these will fit these well. Three signs of theological and, and immaturity. Um, and the first that I've noticed is, is something I would call parroting. Parroting, parroting, you know, like the bird. Um, I've noticed as I watch people interact on social media, as I have conversations on a hot-button issue on things in our, in our city or in our culture, that oftentimes what I find is people just parrot the same stuff. Like they just It's almost like they heard it so many times, and then they just, like a parrot, they just kind of say it. You know, um, you, you start talking about justice, uh, and, and all of a sudden you, you hear the parrots come out and they're talking about CRT, uh, or the other side, they're such a bigot. Um, you, you, you start talking about politics, and, and someone's a Marxist, or they're a fascist. Uh, you know, th- th- this group's not inclusive enough, or there's not enough representation. Like, we, we start saying all these things that we're hearing in our culture, and we just parrot them. And have you ever asked a parrot, and, I, and again, my experience with parrots is limited, I'll <laughs> confess that, but I would imagine, <laughs> so I'm imagining, if you asked a parrot, when it, when it you know, kind of said, you know, like a bigot, you know, or something, whatever it says, if you asked a parrot, <laughs> what do you mean by that, all you're going to hear is, is the parrot continue to say the one word that the parrot knows. And oftentimes what we've done in a social media-dominated culture is just pass on these little one-liners, these little labels, and honestly, we have no clue what we're saying. We have no clue what we're meaning. We're labeling people made in the image of God. We're putting them in these nice, neat little labels. We're passing on articles that we haven't even read. We just read the headline. Oh, that would be good for them to say. There is no depth here. And we're hurting people. And parroting is done by all sides of the spectrum, liberals, conservatives, Christians, non-Christians. But it lacks wisdom. It lacks the diligence to seek understanding and listen well. Ultimately, it's shallow, and it uses labels to keep those we disagree with at arm's length. For the parrot, they must learn to actually read the article, to resist the straw man, to try to understand their opponents rather than being scared of them and to discover the vast resources of the entire Christian tradition guided by the Scriptures and thoughtfully articulated into our culture. See, Christians above all people should not be parrots. We have a wealth of resources to pull from. And when we speak, it shouldn't be like the idiot parrot that just shouts off a label here and there. Please, if, if that's you, just go ahead and stop. <laughs> we should be thoughtful we should be humble. We should do it with wisdom, because we have ultimate wisdom revealed to us in Jesus. For those who are parents, I've got a few free practical tips. If you kind of sway in this direction, and again, God's grace is, is sufficient. But I, just one little action step for you is maybe just start the practice of: Would you asking the question? Would you mind explaining what you mean by that? Right. When you're reading an article, maybe you dig in and find out what do they mean by that. I'm not just going to keep passing it on. When someone says something in conversation or a sermon, ask the question, hey, what do you mean by that? Help me understand, what are you trying to say? We have others that, that maybe parroting wouldn't fit, but again, I'm, I'm sticking with the animals. This is, you know, maybe I shouldn't, but, um, but others that are what I would call guard dogs. And these are some, they've actually read a few books, um, Maybe they've even gone to seminary or they've got a master's. Uh, maybe they've just listened to a few podcasts and all of a sudden they've become experts. Um, again, social media has not helped this issue. Uh, in fact, you can throw together a website and get a, you know, get a little podcast cam, and all of a sudden you can make the appearance of being an expert. And thankfully, these people have received the inside scoop and they'll now bless the world by warning everyone of how wrong most everyone else is. Um, There are many internet pastors and bloggers who make a whole lot of money by warning you about all the false teachers out there. They never talk about greed, do they? No, but um, this is a reality. And if you search hard enough on the internet, you'll discover that everyone's a heretic to someone. Um, It happens outside of Christianity as well. There's liberal watchdogs who thankfully watch out for us for who they need to cancel, call out, and complain about anything done by anyone they disagree with. And sure, all these people are making money on your clicks and on your ads that you're seeing. uh, But someone's got to warn you. And thankfully, we have all these internet experts who are out there to do this. But for those maybe that are prone to this or prone to listen to these voices, let me just remind you that God is sovereign. God has built a church. He's given his scriptures. He's called, what what does it say in Ephesians that he gave us? It doesn't say he gave us bloggers and internet podcasters and voices who write articles. He said he gave us what? Shepherds, pastors, evangelists, teachers, apostles, prophets. He's called qualified voices who speak and do guard the church, but it's through relationships. It's not just through some, some means of the internet. I would, I would give you this encouragement. If you're prone to kind of be one who goes to the guard dogs and that's who you get your wisdom for, let me just say this. I would trust people who I know relationally. You want to, you want to be disappointed? How, how many of us have had an internet pastor we follow from afar only to realize that they're a jerk and their marriage is falling apart? Find humble men and women who, who you can be led by, who you know. You see their families. You see the way they are. You know their faults and, and their, and their, and their uh, gifts, but you know them. See, God did not mean uh, intend for his gospel to go forth through the airwaves of the Internet. I'm not saying we can't use that. We need to think critically about it. But it's through relationships, through real people who you trust and you know. Don't believe everything you read online. Let someone's character determine your willingness to trust what they say. Learn in relationship with real people. The last uh, animal <laughs> that we'll, we'll give you, and this one maybe is my most offended. I hope I'm not offending anyone. If you're like into PETA or that kind of thing, you might be offended. But um, uh, Sorry. I'm, uh, but but it's, it's chickens. That's the best <laughs> thing I could think of is just It's just chickens. Um, there are some of us, and understandably so, who've grown so sick of all the infighting, of all the superficial back and forth from political parties and Christians, um, that they just want to run away from anything that could, could be difficult or that could lead to conflict. So when we start talking about doctrine and theology, these are sometimes the people that are prone to just say, can't we just all love each other and get along? And, and there's a good impulse there, and I understand that. But at the same time, we, we have to hold fast to our faith. It actually gives us the motivation to love each other and get along. You see, I think part of this crew has come to believe, because of perhaps their experience, or because of what they've read on the internet or watched Christians do, that you cannot hold deeply theological convictions while loving well. That, that for someone to get theological is for someone to kind of become a jerk, right? To become puffed up in that. And, and here's, here's what I'll give you. That's happened. We have examples of this. We, many of you, some of you have felt the pain of leaders who, who have all the answers and all the knowledge, but they just stink relationally. They don't love you well. In fact, they've used this knowledge to kind of puff up their ego and they've actually hurt and harms you because it's just head knowledge. But I want to encourage you and remind you that misuse should not result in no use. Gospel truth, the clear revelation of God through Jesus Christ which comes to us in the holy scriptures, it's foundational for why we're here. If we throw out that foundation, there's no reason for us to be here. If we let go of this truth, we lose the whole reason to love in the first place. You see, family, our faith has been handed down through men and women giving their life to preserve the gospel of Jesus, the truth about the triune God, the truth about our sin, and the good news about God's salvation. And the problem with running away from theological conversations or growing up theologically is that usually it's not just that we run away from those things, it's we run to something else that replaces it. We run to other gospels. We're vulnerable to other voices. Just like Paul says in the text, we're, we're prone to be uh, go, uh, thrown to and fro by the waves of culture. There's always a story, always a foundational truth that is guiding our life. And for many in this camp, it's, it's become a denial that we can know anything at all, that God is a revealer, if there is indeed a God. So basically, we just kind of settle for whatever makes us happy, uh, whatever, whatever makes others happy. And here's the thing. Talking about truth, all of these problems reveal to us why why we must ground ourselves in theological maturity. And at the same time, they show us the importance for the second point I'm going to make, which is love. That the way we hold what we just talked about, our deepening theological convictions with humility and wisdom, must be characterized by love. You see, this pursuit of theological depth cannot be separated from relational maturity. Theological depth that does not result in a deeper worship of God and a more robust love of neighbor and others is more Gnostic than Christian. Theological depth that lacks humility and wisdom is merely an ego accumulating more for the ego. North African Bishop St. Augustine says it like this. He says, um, read the quote here he says whoever then thinks that he understands the holy scriptures or any part of them but puts such an interpretation upon them as does not tend to build build up this twofold love of god and our neighbor does not yet understand them as he ought our theology must result in relational maturity We cannot separate those two things. You see, when there's relational immaturity and an accumulation of knowledge, things go bad. When we pursue relational maturity, apart from a foundation, we really have no reason to live and we end up drifting somewhere else. To translate, Augustine, you can get theological concepts right on paper, but if they aren't leading to a deeper love of God and people, you're wrong. In fact, some of the most dangerous and damaging voices are those who are filled with theological head knowledge that has outpaced their character, that has outpaced who they are in real life, the way that they love and relate to people. I remember early on when I, I, I started learning some of the, uh, some doctrines and, and that I hadn't been taught as, as a kid, and I was really proud that I knew these things. I was 21, 22, and I had a friend who didn't, dis, who didn't agree with these same doctrines, and we would argue and hash it out uh, all the time. Like, we'd get into these long, drawn-out conversations, and I would just, I would resort to even being a jerk. I know you can't imagine that. No, but, but um, and one night, he, I remember him, he says, okay, you win. You, you're right, you know? And, and, and after that, uh, a few years later, I reflected back on that. By the way, he didn't change his position. He just, he admitted it that night, but then didn't change it the next day. And I realized that that we can, in our pride and arrogance, have the right things we say and still lose. We can still be wrong. The way I was using the truth about God was wrong. It wasn't with humility. It wasn't with love. It was for me, as a young uh, theology nerd, to win an argument, to get a trophy on my shelf. Family here at Redeemer, we want to grow in theological depth that is characterized by humility and wisdom. We want to be a place where we're so grounded in what is essential, what is core, that we can have family conversations, just like Austin talked about last week, coming to the table and talking about second and third layer issues. And this means we need to grow up relationally if we're going to do this, that we need relational maturity, an ability to love others that's equally important to our maturing in theology. And you see this in our text today. There's a couple of things I'll point out that Paul says about this. Uh, Look at the concern for relational maturity. As much as there is about truth, there's about this. He he uses the word humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity, speaking the truth in love, each person using their gifts to build up the whole body in love. See, we want to be by the Spirit's power a people who don't just shout out what everyone else should believe, but that live a life and we have such a presence of humility and wisdom that other people want to know what's up. That they want to ask us for our opinion. Oftentimes, the voices shouting the loudest, telling us how we're wrong the most, guess what? Nobody's actually asking them. <laughs> most people, nobody really wants to hear from them. They're like, please, don't let me talk to that guy. Um, I won't name any names. Um, But we want to be a people that by the quality, humility, and the way that we live, it brings about others asking us, hey, what's up with this? Help me out with my marriage. I just don't get this. That's when we get the opportunity to speak in, not forcing our views on people or yelling or using fear to, you know, fear-mongering to kind of guilt people into kind of conforming to what we believe. We want to let the gospel so take root in us that it leads others to say, hey, tell me about this. Let's talk more about that. I'm curious. Truth and love. How we hold the truth, how we embody it as a church is vital. It's just as important as the truth we hold. To love one another, we must courageously speak truth characterized by love. Now, I want to say this. Love doesn't mean blind acceptance. It doesn't mean I affirm or celebrate anything you feel that makes you happy, right? Happiness is okay. We're okay to be happy as Christians. It's a little side note there, but happiness is not the ultimate aim. Godliness, Christ likeness, is the ultimate aim, and happiness is a byproduct of getting God. Love, as we see in scriptures, is patient. It's gentle. It's kind. It's forgiving. It's committed. And it's courageous. It's honest. It's more concerned with the true good of another than their momentary pleasure. See, we can have hard conversations, family, even as we try to navigate with wisdom. We can say true things in really humble and kind ways. If you're a parent, you know this. You know sometimes you have to say no and sometimes you're excited to say no. You're like, no, you know, and you, you're, you, know, you little jerk, you know. I don't say that to my kids. I don't say that. Um, always, always accountable, you know. And there's other times you can say no, and it's with love. And it's son or daughter, I'm going to have to say no on this, but I really love you, and I really care about you. Maybe you have to discipline and say have a hard conversation and there's a way you can do it that's very angry and self-centered and even self-righteous and there's a way that's filled with love that is brokenhearted and humble and wise and yet we can say true things in humble ways. And so I want to close with this, just encouraging us and inviting us on a pathway towards maturity, um, grounded in truth and love there's a couple things I want to mention here as we close. First is, is, is this pathway to grow in maturity begins with our hearts being filled with the love of God, with the Spirit of Christ pouring out into us and enabling us to grow in truth and love. This is not something we can muster in our own strength. It's something that must be poured out into us. Look at, back at Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Uh, I don't have this on the screen, so just actually listen to this. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we, all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen, the pathway towards maturity starts with the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God into your hearts. Christianity is not just we learn some things and act different. Christianity is God fills us with His Spirit, and His life is now in us. We have an intimate relationship with Him, and now through the Spirit, we are learning to live and reflect Jesus in the way we relate and the way we love. And before we can begin to love others, we must receive the love of God in our hearts. So some of you this morning just need to be reminded of that. You might have already started your checklist, and maybe you, oh, I'm a parrot, I need to stop. But you know, all that, like just start here. If we're going to grow up, we have to be filled with God's Spirit. Both when we come to Christ in faith, and then as we continue to walk, we're continually being filled with the presence of the Spirit that reminds us you're an adopted, beloved son and daughter, and I want to help you grow, motivated by love not by fear, not by guilt. The second thing I want, to, I want to mention, kind of this pathway towards maturity, just encourage you towards, is honest self-assessment. So not only do we believe the truth about what Jesus has done, but we have to admit the truth about us. We have to be willing and, and secure in God's love to say, hey, I'm, I'm not what I should be, oftentimes. Um, repent in areas of immaturity. We have to be honest where, we, where we've, where maybe even, you know, this, we could apply this to 100 different areas of sin, but, but maybe you realize, man, I've just been parroting stuff, I've just, just been kind of passing it on, I've even been angry inside. We have to come to a place where we can just be honest about where we're at and take that to God in confession, to know ourselves as we're becoming to, to know God. One, one practical way I'd encourage you, if, you, if you're struggling with this, um, maybe your spouse was like, yeah, tell them, you know, if you're struggling with this, ask those closest to you, hey, how do you experience me? What am I like to live with? And take that feedback and receive it, being filled with the love of Christ and knowing that he wants you to grow up. He wants you to grow out of some of those habits of immaturity. Maybe you are just a parent. Maybe you are prone to watch all, all these things. It's time to grow up. And part of that is taking an honest look at our own life. Not being dismayed or not being shamed, but being fully loved. Being saying, okay, here's, here's the ugly parts. God's made some beautiful parts. There's also some ugly parts. And we need to own that. Third thing is um, to, be, to grow in maturity, God's primary means is that you would belong to a worshiping community. I know we harp on this all the time. I know we're encouraging you to, be, to show up to worship, to get involved in the gospel community. But the reason we do that is because we truly believe God works through the church. He changes you through giving these gifts to not only leaders in the church, but other people in the church who you learn from. People who we've come together around a common foundational faith, right? One spirit, one baptism, one body. That's his means for you to grow up, to learn from other brothers and sisters. And so here, real simple, I just want to say, commit to showing up. You don't always have to be on your A-game when you come to church, but show up. Be here. Show up to a gospel community. If you're not in a gospel community, and and goodness, it's been a hard year to to connect, and there's no no guilt in that. I mean, many of us are just even uh, coming out of of the the difficulty of last year. But this fall, I would encourage you, connect with the gospel community. Find people who you can dig deeper to. Find people who you can have conversations with and do theology with. Fourth thing I'll mention is our equip classes. These are classes where we've intentionally kind of created classroom space for us to both learn to think well theologically and to love well practically. And so this fall, we're gonna be having three different classes. Um, Aaron Kellogg will be leading a midweek class for women. Um, We've got two other classes that we haven't quite finalized yet, but I'm thinking one of them is probably going to be on essentials of of sound doctrine, of of theology. So whatever the classes are going to be, they're going to be hoping to help us mature in how we think well and how we love well. And so I'd encourage you, maybe you can't take one every semester, but make it... Hey, I'm not just going to kind of relax and go to work and stay stagnant. I want to grow. I want to learn more. I want to learn more about theology. Maybe you've been a chicken, and you kind of run away from it. And you say, hey, I need to learn how to, how to have theology with humility. So let's talk about that. Um, we will communicate this month more about those classes coming up, but we'll have several opportunities for you to grow in our equipped classes. And then last thing I'll mention is just that Just a reminder that God has given leaders, as we've seen in this passage, which, by the way, me me and Jordan and your elders, were not apostles and prophets, (laughs) but we're more of the shepherds and teachers category. And he's given leaders, not just formal leaders, but others of you gifts, these kind of gifts in the church, for the purpose of building up the body. So please know that as you're wrestling through things, as you're thinking through things, you are not a burden. In fact, God has called us to be there to have these conversations with you. And we want to do that. I know our gospel community leaders, their hearts, they want to do that as you're working through things in gospel community. And so I'd encourage you, listen, find people who you can actually know their life and, and say, hey, maybe, maybe they are a couple steps ahead of you in marriage or in parenting. Say, even raise your hand and say, hey, I want to grow. I need to mature in this area. I need to learn more about God or I need to learn more how to love my wife or love my kids or love my neighbor. Can I watch you? Can you teach me? Can you walk together with me? This is God's plan to mature us so that together and individually we will look more and more like Jesus through the very simple means of truth and love. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that when you defeated death and you ascended into the seat of all authority, You didn't leave us, but you poured out your spirit. Our text says this morning, you gave gifts. (laughs) You are so gracious to us. You gave us gifts that would strengthen and unify us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that in our church, you would continue to pour out your grace. Help us to hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Help us to hold that with humility and wisdom. Fill us with your spirit so that we might encourage one another, speaking the truth in love and build up your body so that we are a better reflection of Jesus here in Round Rock. We want to grow up as a church and we need your spirit to guide and help us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.